Amen. Right. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, going to be a lot of bugs in our sermon today. This is not something you normally say. Um, and but I want you to think about again with these plagues, we've seen so much of them in uh, in the kids' version, you know, the Sunday school version of these things, that it can kind of be a little cartoony in our heads. Uh, I think sometimes we can we can think about them in very much like it's animated, right? It's not real. Uh, but we want to make sure we think about this as like real stuff that really happens. So I just want you to think about how annoying bugs can be, right? Like if you're camping and, and you get mosquitoes coming out and you're just like swatting them all over the place, or even how much like a single fly in your kitchen. You guys ever spent like a half hour hunting a single fly? Right? You're just like hunting it around. And you think, oh, I, I didn't see the corpse, but I think I got it. And then all of a sudden, it's there again. Right? They, just, it, they can be so annoying. If you ever just walking on, in the grass and you just walk into those little bugs that just everywhere, like all of a sudden you're in it. And you're like, this is a mini plague. I don't know what to do. So the, the amazing thing about that, though, is just how, and in this and in the passage today, one of the amazing things we'll see is just how God can use his smallest creatures to demonstrate his incredible power. Or God can use his smallest creation to demonstrate his incredible power. So let's get into it. Exodus chapter 8, start in verse 1. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and into your bed and into your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frog shall come up on you and your people and on all your servants. And Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with Yahweh to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your house and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses and cried to Yahweh about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And Yahweh did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. Okay. So this idea of like frogs throughout the land, it sounds comical, right? It sounds really hilarious. Like it sounds like the funniest, like 
when Moses threatened that with, to Pharaoh, you got to think that Pharaoh like almost laughed about it. Right? And he's like, I'll make frogs come up. We had the river of blood. I've got a worse for you. Frogs. And, and Pharaoh would be like, okay, good one. Yeah, frogs, sure. Right? That's, it doesn't sound terrifying. It doesn't sound scary. It doesn't sound like, even though it would be a problem, it'd be like, oh, there's frogs everywhere. But think about how problematic that would be and how numerous this is saying that it was. It says they were even in the ovens and the kneading bowls, which means that aside from frogs, you had shrieks throughout the land. Right? It means that every time they went to cook, the wife would open the, open the oven and out hopped a frog. Can you imagine the screams? Okay? I can't imagine. She'd be like kneading some bread in the, in the bowl, turn around to get something, come back, there's a frog sitting on her dough. That's disgusting. And, and you wouldn't just have frogs hopping around everywhere, but think about it. If you had frogs in that number, you would have smushed frogs everywhere. Uh, so sm- smushed dead frogs everywhere. And imagine the sound at night. Okay? You ever been somewhere where there's frogs? Like it can be pleasant if there's a few, right? If you're near a, like a river or a creek or something like that, and there's frogs at night, and you hear the creek croaking, it's like, oh, it's almost peaceful. But this many would be like a cacophony of sound that would have kept everyone up. And they're jumping on you all night, but also by the way, so people aren't sleeping as well. They already had a week of blood water. Now you got frogs everywhere. And interestingly, Moses used the same word um, swarm or team, depending on how you want to translate it. But the same word that he says, let them swarm the land. That's the same word that God uses in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, where he says, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And so he's using the same word. He's talking about it and really referencing God's creation. And of course, we have the hilarious fact, again, that the magicians did the same. Right? Remember last time with the blood water, the magicians could replicate that. So, so Pharaoh said, like, brought his magicians and they said, he said, you know, what are we going to do? The water's all blood. And the magicians were like, it's not that impressive. Bring me some water. And so they dug at the riverbank, got a little water, brought it to them, and they said, oh, and they turned it into blood. And Pharaoh had to be like, how does this help? How does this help me at all? And now, Pharaoh's like, guys, we got a problem. There's frogs everywhere. They're, they're in, up in my bed. They're on me. They're everywhere. Look, look, there's one here, right? They're like, they're all over the place. What are we going to do? And they said, come on, Pharaoh, that's not that impressive that, that Moses could do that. Watch, I can do it. And they make more frogs. And Pharaoh would be, like, <laughs> be thinking, why would I want more frogs? Right? Like, that's not helping. You're making the problem worse. Like, could you make the frogs disappear? And they go, well, we can't do that. You can make frogs. You can't make frogs disappear. Right? And so they can replicate it, but they can't solve the problem. They can only make the problem worse. <coughs> and so, so, Finally, Pharaoh gets to this point where he's at a breaking point, and he's like, call Moses and Aaron, tell them I'll give them whatever they want. They come in, and 
And he says, okay, give me an exact time you want me to pray. Now that's where he says, if it, please, Lord, to give me a time. He wants me to know, you need to tell me exactly when, because I want you to know for sure that, that this was God. Right? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And you got to think that night he regretted that choice. He's like, I should have said an hour from now. Right? Should have, <laughs> should have said sometime sooner. But he said he wanted it tomorrow. So Moses said, fine. Because he wanted him to know that it's, that it's real. And notice, the frogs don't disappear. They die. So now you've got heaps of rotting frogs. Heaps of rotting frogs, which is, they already had heaps of dead fish, by the way. They already had a week, fish that have been rotting for a week, so it's probably fine. Right? No, it's terrible. Fish that are dead, that are week old, dead, rotting fish. Now you've got heaps of rotting frogs. It's got to stink terribly. No one's going to forget about these fish quickly or minimize how bad it had been. Now, we mentioned the fact that each of these plagues tends to target specific Egyptian gods, and there's so many that it's hard to, to specifically say. But this one, it's pretty easy to say there's a goddess, Heket, which is symbolized by a frog. Um, it, there's a little picture in, uh, of a hieroglyph in, in, in the study guide, if you pick that up. But it's symbolized by a frog, and, and so this isn't a, dr a direct attack on, um, on this god, Heket or Hecht, depending on translation. Um, but this worship of Heket meant that you weren't allowed to kill frogs. So the Egyptians weren't allowed to kill frogs, and yet they're teeming everywhere. Almost certainly, people started killing them. Right? If you had that many frogs, like just frogs coming all in your house, no matter how much, how much of an animal lover you are, you're going to start killing some frogs. Right? And, and even if not intentionally, unintentionally, just walking around, you're going to have a problem. And so in the end... They all die and are piled into heaps. And this is a direct attack on Heket. They also, the, these first two plagues, the, the, blood, the, the Nile turned to blood and the frogs, are a direct uh, punishment for the initial sin of Exodus. So you remember the initial sin of Exodus was that Pharaoh wanted to limit the Hebrew population. And so he says, okay, Midwives, why don't you please kill the babies as they come out? And the midwives refused. So in, then he in, ordered his people to find Hebrew children, Hebrew infants, and throw them into the Nile. So now you've had the Nile turn to blood, as if to say, this is the blood of the children that you slain. And now you have Heket being attacked, and Heket, was the goddess of fertility. And also from the Nile. These frogs came from the Nile. So it's a direct punishment on, on, the, on this goddess and, on the, and a punishment for the initial sin of Exodus. So in spite of the fact that it happened when God said it would happen, that, that when Pharaoh asked, is exactly when, when God stopped the frogs. Um, the minute this thing is over, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And here it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, not that God hardened his heart. It seems to be both God's choice and Pharaoh's choice. 
it's hard to say. We're going to get, I, I promise in the future, we'll have a, a message on the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and where we can dig into it a little more. But what you see is as soon as Pharaoh had a little breathing room, as soon as the, the, the plague is, is passed a little bit, as soon as it's, he can stop pulling frogs off of himself, he changes his mind, right? He, he goes back to what he was. He forgot and he relented on his promise. <clears throat> and, and this is something that, that we maybe can identify with, or at least we can see it. We've seen it in other people. Where people often turn to God in times of trouble, or right? something's going, going badly, life is hard, uh, they're in some kind of crisis, and they start making all kinds of promises to God. Right? Oh God, if you just help me, I'll do it. I'll, I'll start reading my Bible every day, or I'll start going to church, or I'll start whatever. If you just help me, then I'll, I'll change. But then as soon as it does pass, as soon as God does help, as soon as it's alleviated, then it's like, well, I didn't really mean that. And that's what we see here with Pharaoh. But it's still part of the plan, right? They say, as God said. God had said that Pharaoh wouldn't listen even after he performed signs and wonders. Even after he performed signs and wonders. And that's often true for, again, often true for us. We see this in our own lives, that we we want God to do something. Often God does something in our lives, changes us, has some kind of impact on us, but it's easy, all too easy for us to forget. All too easy for us to go back. But what we see here is Pharaoh, it, it, was, it really had no excuse for forgetting. Right? Again, all he had to do was breathe and smell the rotting fish, smell the rotting frogs. And that's true for us as well. That and I think I mean I think it's it's specific that God uses this this smell to be the reminder for Pharaoh because smell is the sense most strongly tied to memory, right? And that's often true for us. Maybe not directly, but our sin, the effects of our sins, leave a, a stink of some kind. Whether it's actual stink, which maybe sometimes, but it, there's reminders of what we have done. There are reminders in our, in our lives of our past behavior, reminders of what we have, where God has brought us from. We have to allow that metaphorical stink to be a reminder for us of what God has done and, and what He wants to do in our lives, that we don't go back. All right, let's continue. Plague number three, gnats. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and on beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. <clears throat> okay, so here, Pharaoh doesn't get a warning. He doesn't get a request. He had already pro made this promise that he would let the people go, and yet here, he, and then he relented on it. And so here, he doesn't get a warning. It's just going to happen. The next, the next uh, plague is just going to happen. And... There's some question about really both this and the flies 
Um, and actually, someone even this morning was asking me, how big do you think the frogs were? I don't know. Like, there's no real indication. And like, you can look up like native frogs of Egypt and pick one, but there's several. So it's hard to say for sure. Um, I don't know that it matters that much, um, what, how big they were. But in here, the gnats and the flies, both of those, the words that we're translating, we aren't sure exactly what they were. Right? Little tiny fly bugs, and then little bit bigger tiny flighty bugs, is what you can kind of think. Right? It's hard to say exactly. The gnats might have been, the, the, the Hebrew word is uh, kinim, and um, in, in modern Hebrew, it's translated as lice. So it's possible that it's like <laughs> that was that was everybody whose kid has had lice responding at once, right? But that's <laughs> it might have been lice. It's hard because it says that they were on man and beast, right? So it, it does imply that they, that they were maybe like something that got in like that. And think about how terrible that would be if it was lice. Uh, and we also have to remember that there's no frogs to keep them in check. Right? Both of these are impacted by the previous, uh, the previous plague in which all the frogs died. So there's not even, in, there's no help here. They're, they're major predator. Um, and, and there's, uh, there's no, uh, strangely enough, there's no god of little flyy bugs. So it's kind of, uh, th- this one's not as, um, as direct, where you go like, oh, this is the goddess attacking. But notice he does it by striking the dust of the ground. And, and that, uh, there was a god of the earth, or a, a, of like dirt, basically, of earth. And, and that's Geb. And, and so he's demonstrating his power over the, the land itself, over the dust itself, to make these bugs from the dust. The other thing we see here in general, and I have a, a chart for this in your study guide. We'll throw it up here. I don't know how well it'll translate on the screen. But what we can kind of see the plagues as is, is a deconstruction or a decreation, a reversal of God's creation. So we see, just for example, uh, these are the, the days of creation and what God created on those days, um, and then the, the plagues that correspond with them. So you have, you know, in the beginning, God created light and, and separated light from the darkness. And, and plague number nine is going to be darkness. You have the waters being created. He turns water to blood. Um, you have vegetation being created on the third day. We'll have locusts and hail that destroy the crops. Uh, again, sun and moon on day four, darkness. Um, it, on day five, you have birds and fish and other uh, animals. And you have the fish die and the frogs die in the first plague and the second plague. And, and then here in, in six, you have land animals uh, made, and, and three, four, five, and six are different kinds of pestilence and disease that affect mankind and animals. And then obviously you have mankind created on the sixth day as well, and we will have the death of the firstborn as the final plague. And so you can kind of see it's almost like God's deconstructing or decreating. What he, what he has made. Taking the good things that he has made and turning them against the Egyptians. He's kind of rolling back these things. But you can see it really if you think about what the plagues are doing and then we look at, for example, first uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 28-31. through 31. 
you can kind of think about it and it kind of becomes clear. I'll, I'll just read it and I think it'll become clear how this is kind of a reversal of, of God's blessing. So Genesis 1, 28-31, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Even right there, God's blessing mankind and saying, have dominion over these things. And now they can't control these things. Right? Specifically, can't control these things. Every, every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed, uh, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. So God, when He's setting up creation, what we talked about back in, in the beginning of Genesis, He's creating a world for humans. And, and creating a world in which mankind can thrive, and the plants and the animals work, and and it's all going well. And here, that's all being reversed. That blessing is being removed from the people of Egypt. Because they're not submitting to God's authority as Creator God. They're not submitting to His authority. And so He's removing that blessing until He subjects them to Himself. And so here we also see that the magicians are stumped. They can't do this one. And I, again, I don't know why you'd want to. I don't know how that solves anything. It doesn't really help anybody. But here they can't even do it. They can't even make these, these bugs come up. And so they have to admit this is a divine act. This isn't, there's no way that they could replicate this. This is something that God has done. It doesn't mean, by the way, that they submitted to God's authority. It doesn't mean that they submit to God's authority. Acknowledging that God exists is not the same thing as worshiping Him. That's an important thing for us to remember. A lot of people, a lot of people will admit that God exists or that a God exists or that there's something up there. But they'll say, I, I believe there's something. I don't know what it is. That's not the same as believing in God and submitting to Him as our Savior and Lord. That's not the same thing. It's important that we, that we remember that. Let's continue here and uh, look at <coughs> plague number four. Flies. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And Yahweh did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt, the land that was ruined by the swarms of flies." Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said it would not be right to do so. 
for the offerings we shall sacrifice to Yahweh our God and our abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to Yahweh our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with Yahweh that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let Pharaoh let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to Yahweh, and Yahweh did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Okay. So <clears throat> Israel's spared from this plague. Right? He... he he separates them out. He says, they're not going to get this. But if you didn't realize, that means they weren't spared from the other two. Right? They had to live through the other two. They had to suffer the first three plagues, including Moses and Aaron, had to suffer those plagues the same as everybody else. Right? Redemption can be a messy business. It can be a, a difficult thing. But this time, they're going to be separated in order to further demonstrate God's power. Right? He's saying, I'm going to let you, you're going to know for sure that this is me. You're going to know for sure that I'm doing these things. My people are going to be separated out so that you can see my power. Again, the reason they're separated out is to demonstrate God's power. The reason that they're spared is to demonstrate God's power. Not for their sake. You get that? You know what I'm saying? It's not about them. It's not about, oh, because I love them. It's not even, he's not, God's not even saying because I love them. He's saying, but so I, you can know my power. We're going to separate my people. are going to be spared from this. God's glory is more important than your comfort is what that means. God's, God's glory is more important than our comfort. <clears throat> All right, so the God that's being uh, targeted here, is Beelzebub, which you might not have realized was a Egyptian god. It shows up in the New Testament, right? This is a term that we're familiar with, is Beelzebub. He's an Egyptian god. The name literally translates as Lord of the Flies. Right? So this is directly a direct attack on Beelzebub because he's not controlling these flies. Right? They pray to him all they want. He can't control these flies. He's not the Lord of these flies as they torment the Egyptians. And, and so he was a common enough God, a popular enough that it spread and he even shows up in the New Testament. That's why you know the name. That's why that sounds familiar to you is because you recognize that from the New Testament. Shows up in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 20. <coughs> it says, now he was casting out a demon. This is Jesus. He was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept saying from him a sign from heaven. Kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, 
how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right? He's, that, this, this term, the finger of God, this, we already read before. Remember the magician said, this is the finger of God. That's the first time that, that phrase turns up in Scripture. So here, Jesus is directly referencing the plagues of Egypt. And saying, no, this is by the finger of God. This is a, that I'm fighting the same war. I'm fighting the same battle with demons as Moses and Aaron were fighting back then. Where he's drawing a direct connection between these things. <coughs> so then we see Pharaoh's compromise, right? Pharaoh is now, he's willing to compromise. He's willing to wheel and deal. He's willing to, to work something out with them. He offers a concession, right? His first concession is sacrifice within the land, right? You can sacrifice to Yahweh, but just stay here. Don't go anywhere. Just sacrifice here. Let's get rid of these flies and you can sacrifice to the, to, to Yahweh here. And this should have been a tempting proposition to Moses, but he knows that God's not willing to compromise. He's been through enough. Right? He's, already, he's already dealt with God enough that he knows God's not going to compromise on this. And he says specifically that the sacrifices they would make would have been abominable. They would have been sacrificing primarily bulls and rams, which are sacred in Egypt. They're representations of Egyptian gods. So if they started... Uh, <coughs> if the plagues stopped and Israel starts sacrificing... The Egyptians are going to rise against them. There's no way they're going to allow them to, to kill these sacred animals. They're the slave class, by the way. Like they're, they're the slave class. Yes, these, these plagues have been going on, but now they've stopped. And now these Egyptians are going to start sacrificing their sacred symbols. There's no way they're going to let them get away with that. Moses knows that. Pharaoh knows that that's true. So then he counters again and says, okay, just don't go very far away. Just stay close. Or just, you can go, but just stay close. Don't go that far away. Just stay just a little bit away, just enough that you can sacrifice to Yahweh, but, but you can't go that far away. But Moses, he, can, he kind of concedes, but he maintains this whole three days journey thing that he's been talking about. He keeps that in there, even though Pharaoh said it will just go a short distance. He's like, yeah, three days, short, sure, three days. But he holds to that. And of course, Pharaoh doesn't stick to the, to the deal, right? He, he hardens his heart again. He doesn't let the people go. So that didn't even, it didn't even end up mattering in the end what, what he would have had agreed to. Pharaoh's not going to let it happen. He's not going to let the people go. But this thing is, this compromise that, that Pharaoh throws out there, that's not that unfamiliar to us, right? Christians also get into this bargaining thing with our sin, right? That, if we look at the Exodus metaphor the way we're supposed to, right? The Exodus metaphor is meant to be a metaphor for us, right? Slavery in Egypt is meant to be equal to slavery in sin, right? That we are slaves to sin just as the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, right? In our sin nature, we're dead in our sin, and we don't even have the ability to break away from that and to, and, and to go and, and, and be free, and to, and to follow Jesus. We're not able to do that in ourselves. He has to come and free us. 
where He has to come and give us His grace, give us His mercy, call us that we might go and follow Him. Right, so that's the metaphor. That, that slavery in Egypt is slavery in sin. And that freedom from Egypt is freedom in Christ. Right, that that's, that's what it's meant to be. But the thing that happens here that Pharaoh puts forward is a deal that many Christians try to make. Right? Many Christians try to make this same deal. Pharaoh says, like, no, just stay in your slavery. Like, stay here. You can worship God while you stay here. And we do that as well. We go, well, I can stay in my former life. I can do all the things that I used to do. I can still live in my sin. I can still have all the things that, do all the things I was doing. I'll just, like, go to church on Sunday. But everything else will stay the same. I don't have to change the rest of my life. I can just go get a little dose of God every now and then, but like generally stay right where I'm at. Right? That's one of the deals that people try to make. And then other people go, okay, I'll leave, yeah, I'll leave that behind. I'll leave behind the things. But like I need to stay close because this Jesus thing might not work out. But this this following Jesus and and church and all these things that that I might go to that. The gospel might not be enough. I might need to go back to my old ways. Right? I might need to go back to try to find success on my own, to find love on my own terms and, and what I need to do and happiness. And I might need to fall, stay with my own thing. So I need to stay, keep that relatively close so I have a safety net in case Jesus doesn't work out. That's not how it works out. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus, it's all or nothing. You either accept the blood of Jesus as sacrifice for your sin. You choose to accept the forgiveness that he's given you and say, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm turning my life over to you. I'm repenting of my old ways. I'm going to give up the th- trying to find happiness on my own terms. And I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm not going to keep trying to find my own righteousness, keep trying to find my own success. I'm going to choose to find that in him and whatever he says I'm going to do. We either give that over to him or we don't. Like it's you're all in or you're not. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter three, verse thirteen through sixteen. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's wrap up with how should we then live. A couple takeaways from today. Number one, recognize the reminders of your past as a blessing to keep you from slipping back into your old ways. Where we all often have those and sometimes they're even like annoying to us. They bother us that we have these reminders, but they can be a blessing. It can be a blessing to be reminded of what you've left behind. To be reminded of that, to be reminded of your past sin, reminded of your past life, it can be a blessing to go, yeah, I'm not going back there. And that's why, because I have these consequences that I'm living with. I have these piles of dead fish and dead frogs stinking over here to remind me what has happened. Number two, acknowledge God as creator and giver of all good things. Or just to acknowledge that He is the one that gives you those things. It's often easy to get caught up in the like, well, this is mine and this is my stuff and my thing and this is what I own. 
But if we then acknowledge the fact that I would have nothing apart from Him, that He's the Creator and Giver of all good things, if we acknowledge Him as Creator, submit to Him, then we can be free from that and, and, and just live in that gratitude. Number three, last one. Quit compromising with your sin. Be fully committed to your freedom in Christ. Right, don't try to worship in the land. Don't try to stay in Egypt and worship Yahweh. Be free. Go and worship Him. Be free from slavery to sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for this Word and, and the, the, this story, God, of the Exodus and, and the complexity of it, God. We've, we, <clears throat> there's so much to it that we don't even know, that we don't see, that we can always get more. We thank You that Your Word is so rich that there's always something new for us in it. I pray that You would help us to value that freedom, to not try to go back to the land, not try to go back to our slavery, but to be set free by the blood of Jesus and live in that, God. That we can fully live in that, that we can share that with others. We thank You that You are powerful, right? that You are the one who is worthy of worship, is worthy of glory. We want to give that to you now. In your name we pray. Amen.